Hi there. This is Joe Exotic. (laughs) (laughs) And now for something completely similar. Y'all got any meth? Jason, it's time. Is it? Time to rise and shine. I thought it was Vader time. To a brand new day. I was led to believe that it was, in fact, Vader time. It is. Well, let me just look at my watch here. It appears to be not Vader time yet. No. No. Well, I can wait. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, we'll just sit here. I got nowhere to be. Yeah, well, I'm I'm waiting. I'm looking at my cl- my watch here. It's taking a and, while. And the thing is, anybody who's listening to this right now, assuming things are still going the way they're going, they probably got to, they probably don't got nowhere to be either, Brendan. All right, let's just hang out in silence. All right. So, uh... Yeah. okay, Jason. Enough okay. Of this bullshit. Let's start with the show. Show. This is a podcast called For Screen and Country. And I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. And usually on this show, we talk to you about the BFI, that's the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time list. Uh, We talk about a different movie on that list each week. We break it down. Should it belong? Is it as good as they say? What kind of cultural impact does it have? How many references to Clerks will Jason make? Etc. Etc. But uh, for the last, I believe at this point, 15 years, we have been doing a series called And Now for Something Completely Similar, where we watch prequels, sequels, remakes, reinterpretations, interpretive dances of films that we've already watched that were on the British Top 100 list. And it's a great way for Brendan and I to have a little bit of a a circle jerk during the uh, quarantine. Yeah, exactly. These episodes are a little looser, a little little looser, goosier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because we've talked about some doozies in the last 15 years. Yes. Oh, man, man. We have watched some movies. <laughs> we, and I mean, yeah. Lawrence After me... Arabia. Oh, my. Classic. So good. 39 Steps remake. Elizabeth. Why, why did they even make the first one? They should have just went with that one. <laughs> the sequel to Elizabeth. That was basically the same movie. Yeah. I mean, it's it's what everybody demanded. I mean, we've gotten through some doozies just to get to the movie we're going to talk about this week. And, and that friend, my friend. may sound very sarcastic to you, but I assure you that is not the case. And that is the film Blowout. right pretty amazing opening credits <laughs> yeah like like so like for 1981 this was a credit sequence that was impactful it was short and it was to the point it had good sound effects i mean obviously it's a movie but I mean, you have to yeah so you gotta <laughs> and even just that animation of the of the needle going back and forth is just so fucking cool <laughs> and i love it yeah so this is 
a Brian De Palma movie. I, I was going to say this is our first Brian De Palma movie, but I really doubt we're going to talk about any other ones. <laughs> yeah, I would say now. Now, you and I certainly on your other podcast, uh, uh, what has to be 50 to 65 years ago, watched a, a film called Snake Eyes starring one Nicolas Cage and directed by mm-hmm. one Brian De Palma. Yeah, so he can he can really fall on either end of the quality spectrum is what we're trying to say. <laughs> Absolutely, he's he's um, got sort of a Paul Verhoeven quality in that way. <laughs> yes, he can either be a Showgirls or a RoboCop. But even although to be fair, I would say even even Showgirls is is a fantastically entertaining film, even if it's fine. Not- <laughs> a Hollow Man or a RoboCop. Okay, there we go. That's better. <laughs> Uh, so Brian De Palma's film, 1981, entitled Blowout. So this is kind of um, a remake in a way, or at least a retooling of a movie we talked about uh, that was number 60 on the BFI Top 100 called Blow Up. Yes. Which was uh, about uh, basically about a guy who is a photographer. He captures something in one of it when he's, when he's shooting uh, some, you know, he's being a little bit of a perv. Um, or at least at least a little voyeuristic, uh, taking some pictures, and he catches what uh, appears to him to be potentially a murder, or at least the results of a murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spends the rest of the film obsessing over that. And then at the end of uh, Blow Up, we never really get an answer to, to quite frankly, anything. Um, I, I interpret it Blow Up as basically that he was kind of he gets into his own head he basically he's seeing shit that isn't there because he's been so put on this path by the very idea of it and he kind of falls into it and and if i remember correctly brendan and, and i may be wrong so so please tell me if i am is blow blow up not the movie that ends with him watching the uh mimes that showed up in the jeep and they were playing a fake like a game of fake uh tennis yes yeah so and, and, I, and the big moment there is that he joins in he joins in so I believe that's him kind of subsuming to his crazy or submitting to his crazy at that point. So in my mind, I believe that he's just nuts mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the movie. Like he's just he's he's gone. He's so far gone that it doesn't matter. But that's a well, bit different in this movie. It is a bit different. And while in that movie, we kind of follow him the whole time and we're not really sure what we're supposed to be believing yeah. because we see everything through our main character. This yes. is a Brian De Palma film. So he does not do that because what, who does Brian De Palma? What filmmaker does Brian De Palma love more than any other, Jason? Uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. So yes. in that Alfred Hitchcock sen- in that Alfred Hitchcock um, manner, he doesn't like to make it a whodunit. No. He doesn't. He doesn't go for that. As we talked about again on the other podcast, we talked about Snake Eyes. In that movie, the twist comes 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Um. In this movie, I think you know about. 45 minutes and maybe even less than that uh into the movie that there's obviously something crooked afoot yeah um and you know that for sure because there are shots where our main character played by john travolta is not even present like we see actually see the bad guys uh kind of working their plan uh for me the the moment that the the twist such that it is when everything kind of falls into place is shortly after kind of the nature of sally is revealed and, and what her her kind of objective was in the car at that time Exactly. Yeah. Whereas in the original film, I believe we get Vanessa Redgrave and she's a very mysterious and then she just kind of like leaves the movie and we don't really know what that was all about, no. which is very cool in that movie. I think I really liked what that movie did because it was so different from what I expected. Like, you know, you expect a mystery, the setup, blah, 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 the end, whatever the end happens to be. Mm. And that just kind of turned the whole thing on its head. Um, yeah. This is more in the line of a 
I don't want to say I don't don't want to say generic because right off the top I'll say I think and I think I speak for both of us this movie is fantastic. Um, oh yeah, I agreed one hundred percent. I don't want to say generic, but I'll say straight down the middle. It's it's a very like it's 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 a thriller. It's a it's a pretty standard thriller in terms of like the story makeup of it. This is a movie, Brendan, where the main where like like where. I guess where with blow up, we're watching a movie where we are questioning a character's sanity. Mm-hmm. This is uh, a movie uh, where, or blow out is a movie where we, as the viewer, never question the character's sanity. It's everybody else in the movie that questions yeah. the character's sanity. It's one of those movies where you're with John Travolta, yes, um, wondering, be getting mad because everyone's questioning him. Being yeah. like, God damn, you fucking dummies, just listen to what he's saying. And that's the thing about the original is that in the original British one, we start out that way because we because that's just how movies are. And we assume that, you know, we're, we're looking at this movie through the lens of the protagonist. But as that movie goes on, it becomes more and more clear that we're not necessarily getting the full story or that mm-hmm. we're or that he's seeing things that we're not seeing or we're missing things that he's seeing like. Uh, whereas again, this movie much more like we're on board with John Travolta from the get go because we're there when it happens, we see it happen. Uh, and then that, that never really changes. Exactly. And well, let's, let's, let's go through the cast in this movie then a little bit here, mm-hmm. uh, Jason, cause we've got John Travolta playing the, the title role. John Travolta uh, in what has to be his, like, like his first prime, like just fucking just <sighs> greasy looking, but like still attractive and, and yeah. just great actor in this movie i think three Hits. years this is about three years after greece yeah so this is this is young john travolta at his peak um so it's john travolta playing the title role of jack terry uh oh. nancy allen who is uh brian de palma's wife at the time oh. uh, i don't know if they're still married but it was brian de palma's wife uh playing playing sally the uh now, female now did she play tony soprano's mom uh no she did that's not a different nancy <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's a different actor altogether nancy allen is still very much alive what do i know her from oh robocop she's from fucking robocop oh yeah she is from robocop You're right. right fuck how did i not realize that awesome uh, when i saw the picture of her with short hair and it's like oh yeah i know who she is <laughs> <laughs> um also appearing in the movie john lithgow plays the role of burke who is a oh. fucking psychopath so or good sociopath you might say like a, and and a character whose performance says everything about him that you could possibly need to know. Like just the way he speaks and the way he goes about his business. Like this is a guy that you know not to fuck with. Even though we're never like ever clear on exactly who he is or 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 like exactly what his position is or like is he is he in the army? Is he some sort of government agent? Is he a political operative? We're never quite sure. Well, and you mentioned since since you're getting into that, I'll just mention the rest of the cast real quick. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, Dennis Fran- Franz is uh, Manny Carp, a photographer, a slimy photographer who, like Jason said before we went on the air, has hair in this movie. A oh, full head of luscious hair. Now it's going away, but it's there. Uh, John McMartin plays Lawrence Henrys, the detective that's interviewing uh, Travolta at the beginning of the movie. Nice. Oh, Robin Sherwood is Betsy. And that is just a very small brief role at the beginning as well. She's she's one of the uh, the couples that's like the the, the couple that's like uh, what is that guy looking at us for? Is he spying? Is he, oh, yeah, is he yeah. a perv? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a very it's a very cool red herring too, which is that you have John Travolta. Um, you think that this couple that you see on the bridge across from John Travolta is going to be you know the source of the whole movie. You think it's going to get the whole thing going, and then it ends up being a total red herring. Has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Yeah. 
which I think was uh, pretty good, which I think was pretty cool. And I only realized after, but anyway, um, before we go any further, you mentioned John Lithgow as Burke, yes. um, just giving you every indication of who he's supposed to be just with his delivery. Yeah. And I want to play, I think the best example of that is when he's speaking on the telephone to his like handler, um, talking about the, uh, the, the mission basically, and just listen to how cold and calculating and just fucking evil he is. You were supposed to get some pictures of McGrath, not kill him. I understood the objectives of the operation. I never concurred with them. But I didn't kill him. It was an accident. You accidentally shot out the tire of his car? As you may recall, this was my initial plan as proposed at our meeting of June the 6th. We rejected that plan. Don't you remember? Of course, I do admit I had to exceed the parameters of my authority somewhat, but I always stayed within an acceptable margin of error. After all, the objective was achieved. He was eliminated from the election. Burke, I don't know you. I've never seen you. Don't ever call me again. Just a minute, sir. We got some loose ends. I changed the tire, made it look like a blowout. I erased the sound guy's tape so everybody would think he's a crackpot. Carp's disappeared, but I'll find him. But that still leaves the girl. I've decided to terminate her and make it look like one of a series of sex killings in the area. This would completely secure our operation. What operation? Yeah, so just fucking, just like a like a cold-blooded serial killer. I I said I said psychopath, but I think he may be a sociopath. Well, it, it, it I would say he's an android. He is a robot through and through. Uh, he sounds like he sounds like Data going through the motions of this thing, and that's what I love about it. It's just it's so businesslike. It's so it's very military. Uh, just because he calls the guy sir, and the way he, you know, the uh, the objective was achieved in this manner, like he's very he's very officious in his speaking, and I like that. I will say he's this. also a fucking oh. nut job, but we'll get to that. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say I will say this that I for for my work I take a, I take phone calls, yeah. and when people call with this kind of delivery, like with this kind of uh, manner of speaking where everything is so precise and mm. like and like ordered it creeps me out yeah yeah <laughs> this no, is absolutely. creepier than someone calling and being like hey <laughs> my my thought usually though with that sort of voice is what is this person going to try to sell me <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's me. that there's that too <laughs> When 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 i am the person receiving the calls uh at, at work though i i don't uh I don't get to uh, wonder about that, but you, you don't uh, get solicited on the phone. Nobody tries to sell you shit. Well, it's like, oh, by the way, would you like to buy some uh, some Tupperware or some while I'm working? Yeah, yeah. They call in and they like need to like deal with whatever information you have to give them. Then they're like, oh, by the way, would you be interested in some Pampered Chef baking stones? Can't say that I do. Oh, well, that's a market that needs to be tapped. Oh man, like reverse spam? You call like telemarketers and try to sell them shit? <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going I'm to put that in my back pocket and get back to this movie because this movie deserves our talk. <laughs> well, I want to get back into John Lithgow just for a moment because we talked about how he's cold. He's calculating. He never seems like a stereotypical villain. Like no. he's very like wet. Like I said, like, like I said, mannered, ordered. He has everything in control. Like he casually says in that clip um, what he's going to do. So uh, so just to get the basic premise out of the way, John Travolta mm. is a sound guy. Yeah. He he does sound for like bad movies, basically, bad horror movies, schlocky sorts of stuff. movies that you watch on your other podcast. That's right. <laughs> um, in October. Um, 
So he does the he does the sound guy, and basically the guy his his director or you know whoever the director of this next movie is basically tells him like your sound is shit. You're just reusing the same library. Go out and get me some like some good like ambient sounds and like a nighttime and mm. you know owls and frogs and crickets and shit. So he's out doing that, and in the course of doing that, he accidentally uh, records a car crash. And he kind of obsesses over it because he goes in under the water. He uh, notices that there is a young lady stuck in the car. The gentleman has passed away. Um, he does manage to save the young lady, played by Nancy Allen, who he finds out. And he finds out that the guy in the car was a governor, a very popular governor that basically was going to be president one day. They make that very clear in the movie. He was... If he had been, if there was a, there was an election today, yes. 63% said he would be the president. And, so. and actually that sequence where we learned that is some very, what I have to imagine is some very early examples of the use of split screen in, in mm. a film. Uh, it seems very cutting edge for 1981, uh, where we're watching. Staple. Yeah. And where we're watching kind of on one side of the screen, we're watching him working with all this cool old sound equipment as he's like, you know, banking, uh, banking sound effects and whatever. And then on the right side of the screen, we're watching a, a TV screen that is being filmed and it is showing a news broadcast, which, of course, is a trope we see in many movies as far as like how to get some exposition out. We watch news broadcast, but it's it's really cool watching it in this. And, and actually in this scene, as he's uh, uh, getting these sound effects, the sound effects, at least to me, seem to be relevant to what's going on because we have a sound effect of uh, we see the uh, the politician and there's a sound effect of glass breaking that he does. Mm-hmm. But then there's a, a sound effect of a gunshot when we see him on screen. Yep. And then there's a sound effect of a body uh, hitting the floor. <laughs> yeah. It's it's wild and it's it's not done in a um, in a way you might expect like modern De Palma to do it. I feel like modern day De Palma is a little more on the nose. Um, as we see in the movie, again, going back to snake eyes, there is a scene of literal blood money (laughs) landing on the ground. Um, so I mean, there's that, but yeah, I feel like he does it a lot more subtly here. And it's actually only something I noticed back when, when I was going back over the movie to get some clips for the show. I was like, holy shit, that's right. Cause yeah, you, you see like the, on the TV, they're talking about the governor and you just hear that little gunshot sound effect in the background. I didn't even pick up on that the first time. Um, but so for the rest of the movie, basically, he's trying to unravel this conspiracy. Like, what, what, what is going on? Why did the car crash? Why did I hear a gunshot right before the car crashed? Who was, was somebody trying to kill the governor? What does the girl have to do with it? And that's kind of how the rest of the movie goes. Now, what I was going to say is um, John Lithgow's character uh, is, is very cold and everything. But when he has to be, he can just, like, turn it off. Yeah. And he's, like, a normal guy. Like he seems like he could be a normal guy when he's talking to Sally um, mm. later on. We'll talk about that. Well, or I even feel like when he's, he's turning it on there, I feel like he is, he is this just like emotionless husk. And when he needs to, like, that's the, the, the psychopath kind of uh, idea is that he has no like kind of feelings or personality of his own, but he can uh, accurately mimic what he uh, uh, has observed others doing and then can deploy that to his advantage, which he well, clearly does. That's that's what I mean though. I mean I think his real personality is this emotionless husk, and I think he turns it off. Yeah. When when he you know has to. And then he's gonna turn it on, baby. Yeah. Okay, but that was the thing I was gonna say. So this is a guy who he knows he he sees Sally as a loose end because basically we yeah. find out that um she and Manny played by Dennis Fra- Franz is it Franz or Franz. I mean, I think he'd say a Dennis Franz because he's from Chicago and he sounds like this. 
Thank you, Dennis Franz. Dennis Franz. I'm from south side of Chicago. I like a hot beef once in a while. Deep dish, real good. Get it over on, uh, I don't know, Chicago Street. Did you check out our show when we said shit? That was crazy. And then I showed my ass on TV. Oh, oh, millions of babies were born that night. I went home and fucked my wife so many times that night. (laughs) Because she got jealous of how many people saw my ass. That's right. That's right. Thank so you. anyway, <laughs> that was the dueling friends. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, John Belushi and Peter Boyle are rolling over in their graves. <laughs> um, but anyway, what the fuck? Is it? Yeah. So she's so we find out that she's kind of uh, in on a, a schemes with him. Uh, basically, they uh, get these well-known or famous people to get caught in bed with her. Mm. And he sells those pictures to the highest bidder. So that's just what he was doing with the governor here. Um okay. And then, of course, because he took video of it and, you know, uh, Travolta has the audio of the accident, um, Lithgow sees Sally as a loose end. And in order to cover up the fact that he oh. wants to eventually murder her, yeah. he commits a series of, quote unquote, sex, sex killings yeah. of women that look exactly like her. This is the most fucked up thing about this movie. <laughs> that is a fucking I mean, I'm watching it and I'm like. That's fucking genius, and I hate that I said that. <laughs> it's it's genius, but it's also like it's an incredible amount of work to go to, uh, to like, I guess get the trail off yourself or get the trail off of their whole reasoning for doing this, like setting up this whole alternate like <laughs> this alternate criminal existence as a as a quote unquote serial killer just to kill this one girl, so people don't think it was uh, you that did it. Like that's that's just it's genius, and it's just so much fucking work. <laughs> It's some fucked up shit, man. <laughs> it's very fucked up. I mean, but especially the fact that he goes and he like because I, I was watching it. Right. And he, he, you see him walking through the, the market. Right. And he grabs an ice pick. So I'm thinking, OK, he's just going to stab her. But then he goes and he fucking strangles her and thinking, why did he grab the ice pick? And he gets her down on the ground. And he starts stabbing her in the stomach. And it's like, what the fuck? And then it turns out that he's stabbing the shape of the Liberty Bell. Uh, because he's tying it into this celebration that's going on at this time called like Liberty 1981 or whatever. It's like a big, you know, rah, rah America kind of thing. Uh, so celebration. What I think happens though, is when he kills that first girl, mm. I think he thought it was Sally. I yes. Think that was, that was my thought too, is that he, yeah. that he just made a mistake and then now he's got to fix his mistake with this whole serial killer bullshit. Yes. Yeah, so cover he, up his mistake. Li- listeners. He kills the wrong lady, and then to cover it up, he sees the like the sign for like the Liberty Bell party or whatever, right? And immediately and, he comes to the conclusion in his head, hmm, yeah, <laughs> this is what I can do. I will I will carve the Liberty Bell into her stomach, and make the media. You know, the media is definitely going to pick up on it. You know, the Liberty Bell killer, and yeah. then I will just kill people that look similar to her. And then when I eventually uh, make my move to try and kill Sally. Uh, they will just assume it was the spree of a murderer. That is the kind of character we are dealing with here. <laughs> what do you think? Um, so moving away from Lithgow for a moment, because I, yes. I just wanted to, I wanted to talk about a lot. We could talk him about him for great. two fucking hours. Easy. We sure could. We sure could. Yeah. Let's talk about the way the movie opens. Mm. With a schlocky horror movie. Yeah, and and me being very confused right off the bat, being like, wait, what? What movie are we watching? Because I'm watching, you know, with the cops walking up to the window, and the girls are in the dorm room, and they get their titties flopping around, and they're dancing, and then there's a couple's getting fucked, and I'm watching the cop watching them, thinking like, huh? And then and then the guy stabs him, 
And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, so this is, is this the murder that he records? And then <laughs> we start having the camera going through and the girls are all around and, and the guy is walking through like the house. We're sort of from his perspective, but we know we're from his perspective because at one point he goes into the bathroom and we see him in the mirror. So he's like, <laughs> this fat guy in a tracksuit is like silently stalking around this dorm and nobody notices him. So we see all manner of stuff that we would expect in a schlocky like horror film. But of course that confused me because again, didn't expect this in this movie that I was watching uh, where we have we said we have the girls dancing around in their underwear. Then we have a couple fucking in the next room. And then at one point we even pan through a room where a girl is just going to town on herself on the couch. <laughs> yeah, they hit you with all this like stimuli, like crazy. Yeah. And, and, the, and the soundtrack with the breathing, like this heavy breathing that underlies everything that's going on. It's very like the POV stuff with the knife and everything. It kind of reminded me of Halloween. Yeah. Because Halloween would have come out like three years before this. And it makes so it sense very, they would be aping that. Yeah, very big on everyone's mind. I wonder if this is De Palma taking a little bit of a shot at Halloween. Oh, baby. Because they, they, him and uh, Carpenter, or at least, you know, as far as people knew Carpenter at the time, are making two completely different kinds of, of thrillers, of, you know, horror movies. This is kind of a horror movie in a way. It's a thriller yeah. for sure. Um, but I wonder if this is De Palma taking a shot at those kind of schlocky movies and being like, no, no, all this shit you see at the beginning, that's just, that's just a movie. Now let's watch the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, because we know, and, and it's the moment we know it's not, it's obviously not real is when we hear the, the, that horrible scream yeah. uh, <laughs> by the girl in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> and we have this whole conversation between Travolta and his director about like, oh, people are coming to see your tits. Actually, you know what? Let's just listen to Dude, a little bit of that scream. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just listen to a little bit of that uh, that conversation. Kill it. You're right. It's hers. And it's shit. Look, Jack, I didn't hire that girl for her scream. I hired that girl for her tits. Well, then what are you worried about with those tits? Who's going to be watching her scream? Let's move on. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come on, Jake. Look, how many years we worked together? Let's see. I met you on uh, Bloodbath, right? Yeah. And then we did Bloodbath 2. And then we did uh, Bad Day at Blood Beach. And then we did Bordello of Blood. And then, uh, well, that brings us up to date, Co-Ed Frenzy. By the way, I didn't tell you this, but uh, I'd like to think this is our finest film. Almost two years. Oh, God, two years, five films in two years. How do we do you know, you know what I can't figure out? I can't figure out what a smart guy like you is still doing that shit for. Oh, come on. You do this shit. I do the sound. Oh, come no, on. you do the shit. Oh, is that yeah, right? Yeah, like that wind in the trees. It sounds like you're whistling in the crap. That's the library stuff. We used it a million times. That is the trouble. I have heard it a million times. Now, get something new. New wind. Yeah, got it. And what about that scream? We got to dub that. All right. You know any good screamers? I got a few ideas. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just worry about the scream, will you? Huh? So that's that, and that's actually the uh, that's even before the uh, the opening credits. It's a good way to establish the uh, the movie right off the bat. What's 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 sick about that? And I mean that like dark dark humor in that moment is that that pays off at the end of the film, and we'll talk about that later. Yes, yes but man, oh man, ending of this movie. Man, oh man, when that re- when that reveal came, I was that just blew my mind. So uh, also, did you notice that during his uh, uh, listing of movies, he lists a movie called Bordello of Blood? It's a real movie 10 years later. 
uh, well, 15 years later. But yes, uh, with Tales from the Crypt presents Bordello of Blood. So I wonder if they specifically got that title from this movie or if it was just a, you know, because Bordello of Blood. I mean, that's not a crazy phrase to think of, I suppose. Jason, let me ask you this, though. Okay. What genius starred in that movie, babe? Well, since I have Wikipedia pulled up here, I can tell you that it's probably uh, uh, Dennis Miller. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Joni really? loves Chachki. You know oh, what I mean? Why? why Dennis Miller? Why? Uh, they needed what? someone to wisecrack with the devil. Hey. Starts as Rafe Gutman, a private investigator. <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't he be? Hey, sounds like a, uh, like, a, like a stereotypical fat character John Goodman would play. <laughs> Should we, should we do that movie next week? Because it's actually related to this movie. Rafe Gutman. Yeah, yeah, that's no, that's a John Goodman name for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. So like the way the way that whole opening is shot, it, I feel like I feel like it's De Palma taking a shot at some at other filmmakers. Why not? Why not? Give it to him, Brian. And we 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 should talk about De Palma's own style because this is I feel like out of everyone and yes we could talk about how much he apes another filmmaker certain filmmaker style but hmm. out of a lot of filmmakers he's one of the few that I watch a De Palma movie and I like immediately know it's Brian De Palma yeah well the things that got me in this one that I specifically remember from Snake Eyes were the split screen, but also the uh, the the top down shot of a couple yep. of scenes where the overheads. It's yeah. an entire sequence in Snake Eyes, but in this movie, there's just a couple of shots that are taken from that perspective that are very De Palma esque. And I haven't seen Scarface in a long time, but is there? I assume there must be those sorts of shots in there too. I remember. Um, I remember the chainsaw scene had plenty of split screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, I am sure in that three hour movie, there are some overhead shots. <laughs> it's gotta be. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also really likes using the red filter, which I think is interesting because that's almost like, um, like a, like a photo developing filter. Yes. Yes. And, and all, also it, it gives a real like seedy feel to every scene. Cause it's got that red light district kind of, uh, uh, uh aura that it projects at least that I see <laughs> cause I'm a degenerate. And so, like, and this also like introduces the whole. So the whole movie is um, it's very voyeuristic, obviously, because we have Travolta kind of, you know, he's out recording sound. He sees a couple. He wants to. He kind of puts his microphone in their direction. By the way, that microphone is amazing. Yeah, it's a great microphone because he hears everything they're saying from like a long way away. You'd think you'd think you'd need like a dish on it or something for that kind of range, but not that mic. No, not that mic. I do like how um, the way the microphone looks, when he points it directly at the screen, it's almost like the barrel of a gun. Mm. He's the James Bond of sound engineering. Oh, I would love to see a John Travolta as a sound engineer, but like a James Bond mystery where he walks across the screen and just points that at the screen. <laughs> and, ju- and then you just hear like really loud breathing. <laughs> um. There's lots of other uh, – another another one that he really – that he does really well, and this scene is um, is long. It's the shot that he does where he spins around the entire room mm. several times, and it's the scene where Travolta goes back to his uh, to his office, and all of his tapes have been erased. Yeah. And we know, we know obviously, um, that Lithgow is the one that's done it. Like, Burke is the one that's gone and done it. And it's it's a scene that just takes its time. Like it's not ru- they're not rushing or anything. It goes around the entire room slowly. 
Um, we see Travolta kind of in and out a few times of the shot, and we realize it's kind of him like having a breakdown. Yeah, because it's, he's it's, like, it's totally building that building to that crescendo, I guess. Uh, it, it's got this this like throbbing heartbeat almost underneath the soundtrack as it as the camera spins around. And, yeah, it's really, really projecting this idea of like this kind of breakdown moment. Mm hmm. Um, and, and, and yeah, and that's, and that's when he starts to lose it. Like, honestly, from that point on, his character has a whole different look. Yeah. Like he looks more disheveled. He, he looks more out of his, out of his element, which mm -hmm. I mean, he does to be fair that most of the movie, but. Well, it, it kind of drives it home at that point, how serious it is that somebody's broke into his space and then actually gone to the trouble of erasing all these tapes. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's, and then, and that's, you know, that that would set you off. That's a whole new level to this thing that he's been involved in. So since we're talking about Travolta a little bit, I've got to oh. ask you, Oh, Oh, I just did. Oh, cause whenever you say Travolta, I just think, Oh, Vinny Barbarino. <laughs> oh my God, Mr. Carter, you're going to die. I swear. <laughs> that that is <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's welcome back. Carter. Watch that sketch. It's great. <laughs> um, there is a, uh, so no, what I was going to ask you is, yeah. So since we're talking about John Travolta, um, I have sure. to ask you, I have to yeah. tell you the original choice for this role was, um, because I have to ask how you think this would go. Yeah. So keep in mind, this is 1981. Okay. Um, and keep in mind who De Palma has worked with before. Uh, okay. Brian De Palma's original choice for this role of Jack Terry was going to be Al Pacino. Yeah. And you know what? I think Al Pacino would have been fine. Because uh, this yeah. movie, I, I don't know why, because it's a very different movie, but this movie reminds me of Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, mm -hmm. in some way and I don't know exactly why but it, maybe it's the aesthetic maybe it's the feel of it but I, I think Al Pacino would be fine in this I don't think we'd have an issue I think the movie would probably still be pretty good but John Travolta is just so fucking good in this that it'd be hard to imagine someone else in the role it's it's it made me kind of sad how good John Travolta was in this <laughs> because I think of John Travolta now and I'm like god damn it it's been a long time since you've <laughs> been in something what, what, was that, what was that movie he was bald in he played like a federal agent I think about from Paris with love no, uh, let's see here. Was it Sa Yeah, it was Savages. <laughs> oh, okay. Fucking Savages. That's a crazy movie. Oh, oh. Well, there you go. That's a weird, <laughs> that's, a, that's about a what is it? A, I think it's a, a lady and she's in a three-way relationship with two other dudes. All I know is that it's Ridley like Scott. Drugs or something? Is it Ridley Scott? Savages? I think it is. Uh, no, it's Oliver Stone. Oh, okay. I knew it was like a big director. Yeah. It's a weird. So funny. anyway, uh, so anyway, Al Pacino doesn't do this movie, obviously. Um, and John Travolta actually lobbied pretty hard to get Nancy Allen cast in the movie. Um, Nancy Allen, uh, of course, the Brian De Palma's wife. Um, De Palma he had to lobby to get the director's wife cast. Well, here's here, here's here's why. So Travolta thought Nancy Allen would be great in this movie, and I mean, I think she is great. She's wonderful. Oh, she, is. she is. She's so um, naturalistic in this movie. Like yes. the way she speaks feels like like documentaries I've seen of people from around that time. And and I mean, she's not always like that because in Robocop, she's just it's a pretty conventional performance, and she's great. But just something about this movie comes off as so natural. Yeah, so natural to the point where at the beginning I I was thrown off by it and I thought like what's there's something off mm -hmm. about this and I don't know what it is and then I realized like oh no she's the most realistic person in this movie yeah absolutely <laughs> but no he the reason he had to kind of lobby for her to be cast in this movie because De Palma d was kind of getting a little bit of heat at the time um, because a lot of people were like oh this guy just rips off Hitchcock and throws his wife in the movie mm. um, so he was kind of a, he was kind of um, um, he was the Tarantino of his day. 
<laughs> well, come on. <laughs> Tarantino doesn't have a wife. Or oh, he sorry, was not the Rob Zombie of his day. There you go. All right. Um, I, well, I guess Tarantino's married now, but I, I don't think he's throwing her in his movies. Good God, what woman would marry Quentin Tarantino? I mean, uh, I mean, he's a very rich man. <laughs> he is very rich. But so he yeah, so he hesitated at first and he didn't want to have like, a, you know, he didn't want to have a reputation for her only working in his movies because basically she was only doing his movies for like quite a while. Yeah. Uh, but then he was like convinced. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. She's a great actor. She's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Don't take my wife, please. My wife. <laughs> my wife. Everybody loves that, right? We'd be still doing that. Well, it's I think that's one of those ones that's come back around. It was like kind of like swing for a long time where you couldn't do it and you came off as an asshole. But now it's been long enough that it's cool again. Did you get um, did you get elements of this movie of like the Chappaquiddick thing? I, you know what? I didn't think about it at the time. But, yeah, obviously, now that you mention it, clearly it's like you guys, especially been, a car going into the water. I mean, specifically with, although, a, yeah, with a politician and a, and a lady like that would have been because that would have been was, 19, it was like it, a it was like a strikes back against Chappaquiddick because in this version, the politician fucking dies in the river and <laughs> the lady is saved. <laughs> That's right. It's like if the it'd be like if the lady ran away and for a day didn't say anything. So this whole movie is an anti Ted Kennedy screed. There you go. <laughs> Uh, I doubt it because I think De Palma is a very outspoken liberal. <laughs> um, but the Chappaquiddick thing also, like, I think there's elements of Watergate and JFK just with all the, like, the political conspiracy things. But yes. he actually went ahead and said that he they tried so hard to downplay any of those similarities. They said they're bound to happen, but we're – it's only going to be incidental. Like, it's only in the, in the sense that there's a conspiracy and that, you know, with Chappaquiddick, it was a car going in the river with a politician and a, and a lady. But he's like – he tried not to – kind of draw allusions to that sort of stuff. Well, and he went out of his way because like the, the governor's party is never mentioned and the president is mentioned, but yeah. he's not given a name. He's literally on TV listed as the president. <laughs> I don't believe we even see, we even hear the governor talking. I think we might see him in a quick shot on TV, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, in this see, movie, like, B roll of him on TV. And then we see his, his corpse in the car when uh, he yeah. rescues her. Like no actor in this movie is credited as playing the governor. Like it's not, it's not really a character in this movie. No. Um, the, it's like, interesting. Or it's like my, uh, is it Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton in the Big Chill. Uh, uh, oh, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner, right? Kevin Costner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always confuse those two. <laughs> is that why? Um, is that why Kevin Costner played a corpse in that movie? Is because he wanted to do a tribute to Gilbert Gottfried's best character on SNL? Absolutely. That's the okay. only that's, that's what I thought. Um, the other thing, the other little tidbit that I wrote down here that I thought was kind of interesting is there's a scene where Dennis uh, Dennis Franz is watching a movie on TV. Yeah. Um, it's the first movie that uh, De Palma ever made. It's called Murder <laughs> Murder a la Mod. Yes. <laughs> um, he was originally going to watch a movie called Dementia 13, but Roger Corman wanted too much money for the rights. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. Roger Corman, like the most frugal man on the planet. <laughs> But that 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 makes the idea of him putting his own uh, uh, movie in the movie much more palatable. Because at first you're just like, oh, this asshole is showing his fucking first student film in here. But I can see why it was a cost cutting measure. <laughs> Here's a crazy thing too: is this whole backstory we get for John Travolta? Because it's a really interesting backstory. Is we find out that he used to be um, he used to work for the police. Yeah. He used to catch oh. like corrupt police officers. Yeah, he worked and... for like Eternal Affairs. Oh. 
Yeah, he did like uh, he did like wire work, like he would actually put the wires together yeah. on uh, informants. Um, that whole sequence where we see the informant with the wire and you know ended up getting killed in the in the bathroom and everything. Most of that sequence, aside from Travolta, obviously, was actually taken from an abandoned movie called Prince of the City, um, which was uh, which, which ultimately that movie was made. That ultimately that was then made into a movie directed by Sidney Lumet. Um, but that was, yeah, that was a, uh, that was taken from an abandoned project. That was weird. It's such a weird thing. And then they added the shots to Travolta and that's neat. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, it's, it's that nice whole thing they... comes, that whole thing comes back too in a crazy dark way. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's referred to near the end of the movie. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I could say because at some point he, he gets into, he's chasing down, trying to meet up with, uh, uh, Sally as she's going to meet with the alleged journalist, which is in fact John Lithgow Burke, uh, and he he drives through a, a parade, the, this massive parade that's going on to celebrate the Liberty Bell or whatever, and he somehow manages to go through this parade, and not kill anyone on the way, but he crashes into a into a store, and in the store they have a really dark display depicting uh, uh, I, I I was it Daniel Patrick. Somebody, I don't know, the famous American hero being hanged in the window. He's got a fucking noose around his neck and he crashes into that store. And then it just I I thought that that was like a little bit of callback to that. The fact because the the guy had been hanged in the bathroom. Well, and also um, the fact that there's a lot of stuff with the neck in this movie, because Lithgow, what's his modus operandi, operandi is he's choking people to death. He's got that sweet fucking watch that has the like the face uh, frame that pops off and then he pulls it out of his watch and he's got a garret wire that's inside that uh, yeah. can snap back in. That's some awesome spy shit. Yeah, he he, uh, he interrupts the um, the best uh, pro- prostitute negotiation of all time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got twenty dollars in twenty minutes. <laughs> I think he got thirty minutes. Well, and- oh okay, I guess I do. And then when, when this actually goes down in the phone booth, which is just the perfect place to do it, it really only takes about 25 to 30 seconds. And then he uh, gives her 10 bucks. He gives her 10 bucks, which is yeah. which was not what they agreed upon. I mean, I get it. It wasn't very long, but that was on him, not on her. She just did a really <laughs> good job. That wasn't his fault or her fault. <laughs> but yeah, so what's really cool about this movie is that little things set up at the beginning of the movie do come back. Um in in very macabre ways uh so before we get through that though i want to ask you the big question because this is a big debate about brian de palma and i want to know first of all i want to know first of all how many so what brian de palma movies have you seen you've obviously seen this i've seen seen this scarface scarface many years mission to mars mission to mars yes absolutely which i didn't realize that he had directed it until now and i have not seen it since the theater and i don't remember liking it very much and finding the end part where tim Robbins takes his fucking helmet off in space is just like, fuck you, Brian De Palma. Um, and I've seen uh, The Untouchables. Yeah, oh, that's a great movie. Great, too. but but beyond that, I'm not sure. Just let me look him up here and uh, see what he's up to. Uh, and, oh, well, and Snake Eyes, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what I was going to ask you in regards to that, just as a general thing, because the big debate about Brian De Palma is obviously, there's no debate about the fact that he loves Alfred Hitchcock. Um, and he has homages to him a lot. I'm a, I'm going to ask you this in, in his work, the work that you've seen, do you find his stuff, um, homage or do you think it's almost aping it too much in like getting into like kind of rip off territory? You know, that's, that's the funny thing, Brendan, because the other movie I just noticed I've seen his, I did see mission impossible. Uh, okay. 
the original one, obviously. Um, but like, I most of his movies I saw before I ever really considered film in a way that I do now after becoming a movie nerd in the early 2000s. A lot of those movies I just had seen before that and didn't really think about it. So this is the first time I've watched it. Well, I guess the second time we watched Snake Eyes, but <laughs> first time I've watched a Palma movie and really thought about it as a De Palma movie and his style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be interested to watch uh, Mission to Mars again just to see uh, how his style manifests in, in that science fiction movie. So do you think, but do you think having watched this, um, that there's any merit to that, to that argument? What was the argument again? Just, just the fact, just the, um, basically, uh, some people say homage, some people say homage, some people say it's, it's too close. Like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. That's the thing. Oh, you know what? I just thought of another, sorry. I, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Do the thing. I was going to say, I don't give a fuck because at the end of the day, like you can, you can ask the same question to Quentin Tarantino and it doesn't fucking matter. I don't care. You could say Quentin Tarantino's ripped off every single thing he's done. doesn't matter. He's taken those things that he's ripped off and he has recombined them into something that is new and unique and, 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 uh, unique to him. And I think De Palma is similar where, yeah, sure. He is heavily inspired by Hitchcock and other people, but he does his own thing with it. He's not just, he's not just doing a straight like take on how they did movies. He's doing his own thing, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. If you're gonna steal, you steal from the best, right? And I, I mean, I'm I'm here for everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think yeah, you you're not just because you're aping someone's style or you know you're giving an uh, doing an homage. Um, it doesn't mean you're completely ripping them off. And like you no. said, Tarantino would have something to say about that. It's only ripping it off if it ends up being bad. Mm-hmm. If it's good, then it's an homage. <laughs> there you go. Um, another couple of Hitchcock staples. You know what? This actually kind of reminded me in a way of Rear Window in that regard. Because yeah. um, you have a character who maybe shouldn't be, you know, spying. Or maybe <laughs> maybe shouldn't delve deeper into the stuff that he's seeing. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the sense that in this movie, if he didn't, he literally wouldn't have been able to save that woman's life. Yeah. Um, but it may, you know, you know, he should maybe keep out of it. Um, another thing, another Hitchcock thing is that this whole, uh, that this big staple that he has is a lot of times in a Hitchcock movie, he has the climax take place at a, a really big event or a big yeah. arena or a real, a real thing. Um, I don't know if the Liberty festival is like a real thing. I, I, I don't know if it's a real thing, yeah. but he always has a giant climax in most of his movies. Yeah, and, and actually funny, and I'm sure you know this little bit of trivia, but it, I saw it mentioned somewhere that uh, when they were well, after they had filmed this, uh, a couple of reels of of uh, film had gotten stolen mm-hmm. from the the this uh, sequence, the Liberty sequence. So they had to actually stage some reshoots to to fix the movie, and it cost them a bunch of extra money because they had to get all those people back together. <laughs> yeah, and and De Palma was also not happy. By the way, speaking of money, he wasn't happy that the studio gave him so much money for this movie. They gave him eighteen million dollars to make this movie in nineteen eighty one, and he said he quite frankly he said I didn't need it. <laughs> he said I didn't need eighteen million dollars to make the movie I was making, and yeah. I think a lot of that um, ties into why this movie, um, quite frankly, this movie does not do well at the box office. Mm, that's crazy. Um, to me. Yeah, this movie cost eighteen million dollars to make, and it only made thirteen point eight million. Yeah, 
So he should have done it cheaper. <laughs> yeah, like he wanted to do it cheaper, and for some reason they just they just wouldn't let him. I mean, since since we're talking about this in compare, you know, these movies in comparison with movies on the list, we should probably talk about some other stuff about the uh, the similarities, some of the similarities or differences with Blow Up, the, mm. the movie on the BFI Top 100. Um, sure. I mean, much like this movie, I mean, we'll get to the ending a little bit more detail, but the ending of this movie also sees the main character survive without really solving anything yeah i mean it's a pretty bleak ending all things considered the cover-up is basically successful Mm -hmm. because as john travolta like you said he is he is willing to give all of the evidence that he has to a reporter burke impersonates the reporter um we'll just say here the guy's phone lines like he he literally was able to like cut the phone off so that uh the reporter couldn't get a hold of uh, couldn't get a hold of jack and then calls uh what's her face there sally sally yeah and pretends to be the reporter which makes sense because she's never seen or talked to the reporter so mm-hmm. she wouldn't know any different <laughs> yeah and he does that and then he uh you know meets up with sally let's just say right here he kills her yeah. Um. And uh. And 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 the main and you know Jack makes it and ends up killing Burke. But in the end, she's dead, and he has no idea why the cover up, uh, why the whole crazy, thing went down. That's a crazy sequence too, because it's like he's running through the crowd. She's screaming from the. She he's up near the. There's a big American flag, and they're ringing a Liberty Bell, and there's fireworks and stuff going off. And he runs after her like to save her like you would expect in a movie like this, like the crescendo of the movie. He's running to try to save her, but he but he actually does get there too late and she's already been strangled. And so he grabs the ice pick and struggles with him and fucking stabs him in the stomach a few times. And then my thought is like, okay, so how's he getting into this? Because it's going to look like he killed both these people. (laughs) That's what I thought, too, actually. Yeah. (laughs) And then it turns out that the news just assumes that she killed him. Out of self-defense. Uh, uh, yeah, out of self-defense before yeah. dying herself. Uh, and then he's able to go back to his life with nothing resolved and a lot of trauma in his head. Mm-hmm. Because then we get to the big moment. Well, let's let's uh, let's play the big moment because if you remember earlier in the film, guys, uh, they were not able to find a good scream, a realistic scream for the for the shitty horror movie at the beginning of the movie. I guess we should mention then too that during that entire ending sequence, uh, she was wired. With a microphone, yes. and he yes. has a portable uh, listening device that seems to be about 95 pounds, and that he has to drag around with him so that he can have a, an earphone. And that's <laughs> also, and that's also tying into his past failure, um, pa- or past guilt and failure, um, where he actually, we, we talked about how he wired an informant, yeah. um, and that whole sequence, basically, what happened? The the informant started sweating, uh, the radio got staticky, and the mob guys got suspicious and killed him. They hung him in the bathroom. Static and, wasn't the right way. It was actually arcing. It was it was uh, arcing. Yeah, well, there, there was burning him. There was static on the radio, is what I mean. And the static on, static on the radio was indicating, yeah, that the battery was going yeah. haywire, basically burning him. And that's why he's like, oh, I gotta go take a piss at the next gas station because he's trying to not like show that he's being excruciatingly burned by electricity. Yeah. So and because of that, uh, because of that whole guilt, normally in a movie like this, you think, oh, okay, so he's got this guilt over over what he did. So this is kind of kind of be his. Uh, his uh, his his not not his comeback, but a kind of rectifying of that whole situation. Redeem is that himself. Redeeming, yeah, his redemption. But it ends up being his undoing again. So it's yes. just like piled on top. And and because of this whole thing, he's just obsessively listening to her last moments um, as he has recorded. 
and um, it just leads to this moment. And I'm sure even without it explaining, you can you can get the idea of what's happened here. that's how the movie ends is that he's taken the scream this moment the last moment of this girl's real life and put her scream in this horror movie uh to to get that uh, to get that scream redubbed a fitting memorial to a woman who was murdered oh man it's it's well and you know at first when i watched it i was like man how fucked up is that and then i thought about like is this his way of punishing himself because this is like he must feel the yeah. most guilt in the whole world. Exactly. Because if you watch throughout this movie, she wants to leave this situation so many times. Yeah. And he's Absolutely. always pulling her back in. And I think this is the ultimate moment where he's realized I could have just let this girl go home. At the beginning of the movie, she wanted to take a train and leave. And if he had just let that happen, you know, he probably feels like that would have just avoided every other everything yeah. else. The, the government guys gave her a bunch of money and said, get the fuck out of town. And uh, she didn't because he asked her to stay. Yeah. Burke probably wouldn't have even bothered with her. Yeah. Um, just yeah, everything. <laughs> it's it's he wild. He got back to his life and been working with the ladies getting the scream he needs. But instead, a woman died and he got the scream he needed. Yep. Well, let's let's uh, let, let's let's bring up the mood a little bit because I want to play. Speaking of the scream, I want to play my favorite scene. All right. And this is a uh, this is when he's in the midst of investigating what's going on with the with the whole murder thing, um, and the director calls him in to hear a few quick auditions. This is the pivotal moment in the film. You got to realize that. Hey, Jack, where the fuck are you going? Sam, I'll be right back. Okay? I need you now. Now get in here. <coughs> what do you think? Keep looking. Keep looking. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> it's just so fun. Just funny. I like it. Yeah. But man, yeah, it's, it's, it's so, it's such a, a bleak ending, but it's also such like a, it's like the darkest of dark humor yes. in that we get the cap of that, of that moment at the beginning, which you, you think is so inconsequential, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just this tiny moment of him, just a normal everyday job thing of like, Oh, we got to find a scream. Cause this one is, is not working. <laughs> and, and that's almost another Hitchcock thing. Um, I know we haven't talked about, uh, actually, no, sorry. This isn't the movie we talked about the 39 steps. Yeah. That movie opens with that whole Mr. Memory scene, right? Mm. Yeah. Of Mr. Memory, um, you know, this guy who has this amazing memory, he's telling people like, oh, it was him who won the heavyweight title in 1926. And this happened on this train at this time. And you're like, oh, it's just a funny little scene to bring us into the world of the movie. And then 
you think it's nothing. And then, of course, later at the end of the movie, it pays off in the biggest way. Um, again, it's a Hitchcock thing. <laughs> but it's <laughs> like the darkest version of a Hitchcock like tie-in. Yeah. Um, I noticed on your list there you have the makeup tutorial scene listed. Uh, and I wanted to actually mention that scene because I really like that scene. Because it kind of shows how similar the two of them are in their professions, where mm-hmm. he's a sound engineer and she's a makeup uh, makeup artist. And because it, 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 it really drove home to me the idea that these are both people that are doing something that if they have done their job to absolutely 100% perfection, you never notice them. You never notice their work at all. Oh, it's just really there. It's, it's, it's like it's just accepted as part of the whole thing. It's only when it's bad that you notice it. <laughs> yeah. well i mean i think i think when it's good you can appreciate it later but yeah i I definitely agree but it doesn't stick out in the same way bad makeup or a bad soundtrack that's not mixed properly like (laughs) and and i mean in a movie where you have two characters like that you have to make sure the sound in your actual movie is top notch and in this movie it the sound level is quite good (laughs) oh it is and And, i I watched this movie on a pair of headphones and i'm glad i did because i really was able to appreciate the sound in this movie and and how it was uh, edited and and how it really contributed to the overall tone and feel of the picture well since you were talking about the makeup tutorial let's listen to a little bit of her uh talking about her profession to uh john travolta what's the first thing you see when you meet somebody legs I'm a leg No, Come on. All right, all right. Face. You see the face, right? Exactly. Okay. So, so if your face doesn't look right, no one, I mean no one, is going to look at you again. Yeah, but I don't think your face needs any makeup. Every face needs makeup, but it shouldn't look like makeup. Oh, I see. You see, I've worked on this face, and I've hidden everything so you don't see the makeup. You got makeup on right now? I do. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Absolutely. You see, this took me two hours, and this is the no makeup look. Really? Well, I would like to see what the makeup look looks like. I bet that's good, huh? Why? I only do that for special occasions. How about a broken nose? How how would you deal with a broken nose? Well, that's easy. You just take like a little... Wait a minute, let me see. I can show you. Yeah, I could get a brush like this, right? Yeah. You take a, a little brown powder. You just kind of make a little brown. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> hey, now wait a minute. This is serious business here. Are you interested? Oh, in yes. Yeah, okay, sorry. Okay. okay. You make a brown line. You kind of smudge it in right here. I mean, it has to be real subtle so no one notices or anything like that. But what are you smiling about? Well, I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you know so much about this. You're not interested in this at all. Yes, I am. No, you're not. You just kept me sitting here talking, so I used my drink. Wait, no, that's not true, Sally. Look, I did. I just didn't want you to go. Why? Because I like you, and I just met you, and you're going off on me. I don't know. I don't know anything about you. What do you want to know? I'll tell you anything you want to know. All right. All right, you're a salmon, right? Yeah. Okay, how'd you get that job? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> And and I think that scene also points out that they they do have some they do have pretty adorable chemistry. Yeah, no, they are great. I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Again, very naturalistic sounding to me, like they're actually talking with each other about this stuff. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that whole thing about they they their jobs are, um, you know, their level of expertise is measured by how much you don't notice what they're yeah. doing. She even says that in the scene. Yeah. 
she New even York said in that it. scene yeah you don't yeah the best makeup is you don't is when you don't see it and she even says like i'm wearing the no makeup look right now to make yeah. it look like as little as possible that i'm actually wearing makeup which is such a that that's so many layers to that conversation now <laughs> yeah now the, we so also have to mention i also have to mention too that this scene is the culmination of a whole aspect of this film that looks very strange with modern eyes <laughs> where he basically he saves this girl's life and then immediately tries to fuck her uh, I mean, I'm not saying that he like literally like literally is trying to fuck her, but it's clear that that's what his objective is. Ultimately, it's like, oh, I've saved this pretty girl's life. Maybe this is my in, you know, <laughs> I mean, like like when he was in the hospital. First off, when he's in the hospital and he gets out of bed and he goes walking through the hospital, just smoking a cigarette casually. I thought that's a wonderful reflection of this era. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he immediately goes into the room and he wants to talk to her, but she's all fucking drugged up. And then ultimately the hospital's just like, yeah, you know what? We'll send this drugged up uh, uh, girl off with this greasy sound engineer we don't know anything about and he could take her home uh, <laughs> just just puts her puts her entire into her possession or into his possession to deal with as he uh wishes but thankfully he's at least you know he's not a complete scumbag i think yes i think you make a good point uh definitely a different era <laughs> less yeah. acceptable now or uh, less acceptable then just not spoken of no, um so. But yeah, no, I think I think he kind of doesn't fall completely into that because Travolta's got I think Travolta's got this like natural charm. Yes. Um, especially in that era. And he seems like such like he plays this character as such like a like a, a mean meaning well kind of guy, like means well. Doesn't I mean, to his credit, he doesn't try anything when she's drugged up. So <laughs> No, I give him that. But he but he also when he's trying to convince her to go for a drink, he does pull the life saving card. <laughs> he really because he really does want to go for this drink because he really does want to fuck this girl but I he mean, wants to do just, it right I, i'm just gonna say this and maybe this is a hot take i think if you save someone's life they should at least have a drink with you ah, i mean it i'm should, not saying it has to lead to anything <laughs> i'm just, just saying um, just a little you, handy under the table just fiddle with it for I, a minute, I, I, that's I all i ask i did not say that jason <laughs> that's like you say that every time i see you i, well, I, I keep saying your life. it's not relevant well yeah i mean you did but Look, I've I've already done it many times, Brendan. I think we're even. Listen, listen. I I made it so that you didn't have to watch Chairman of the Board, and I want some goddamn appreciation. We'll work this out when the core is over. <laughs> Wait, the Aaron Eckhart film? Yes. <laughs> when that when that movie finishes, we'll talk about this. You're still watching it? Are you watching it in like yes. two minute increments? It's all I can really handle. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, so that's yeah, that's a good point. There, that is um, that is a really good, that is a really uh, interesting scene. And you know what, Jason? Now that we're we talked a little bit about the sound in the movie and how well it's utilized uh, in the movie itself, in you know, in Blowout, yeah. um, I want to play, and this is going to be fairly quiet for most of it. But I do want to play a section of when Travolta is recording sound just before the yes. car accident, yes. because this is this is some fantastic sound design, um, just foreboding and like eerie without being like overt. And remember, uh, kids, they mixed this stuff on probably on the same equipment that this movie is is like that's in this movie. Like they had yeah. to do this all analog back then with multi tracks and. It's it's nuts the amount of work that would have gone into it compared to today just you know using Audacity or or um, the, whatever Adobe's audio editing is you know we're living on easy street kids I know we really are <laughs> this is this is uh, John Travolta had to go out and record these sounds for real yeah on real tape and he only had so much of it that's right so here we go let's listen to a little bit of this and appreciate the work. 
Jason, I want to point out something else that I noticed there. That's not in the clip, but when he's recording the sounds and the car crashes, I don't know, I didn't notice it at all when, until I watched it back to, to grab that clip because, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to this. But, yeah, um, you know, obviously later in the movie we found out Dennis Franz was recording it because he's trying to catch the governor in a yes. tryst and sell it to this, uh, this other candidate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you actually see him run off in that opening I- scene. Oh, do you? I didn't see yeah. that. I, I see him. I, I only first saw him when Travolta runs down to jump in the uh, water to save the girl. You see him kind of step out from behind the bridge and take off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's what you mean, right? That's that's what I'm talking about. Are, is that what you were talking about? Yeah, no, that's what I mean. But I, I saw it like in the, in the first scene. Oh, okay. Crazy. So they and actually... Then, did you oh. see the the flash in that clip? I don't know if that was supposed to be the gunshot or if that was supposed to be the camera flash, but there was a flash of light in that shot. I didn't notice the first time through. I think that's supposed to be the gunshot, but I'm not 100% sure. But I do know that when I watched it back and saw, uh, you know, the uh, the background of, like, Dennis Franz running off, yeah. I thought, man, that's smart. There's no yeah. attention given to it. It's so in the background, but it's one of those things you watch back and appreciate the second time you see it. Yeah, absolutely. I just love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have any other big like things I want to talk about, but is there, is there anything else you wanted to mention from this movie? Yeah, I got a couple things. Um, uh, first off, I love the whole look of this movie. Like I, mm. I, part of it is, is the era that it's filmed in, but like we really get a nice look at, is this Philadelphia? Is this Philadelphia? This yes. Yeah. We get a really nice look at Philadelphia in 1981 and kind of like how the world was then, like in that, in that beautiful, uh, the train station, the central station there, and you've got the banks of phone, uh, you know, the phone booths and everything. And then out on the street and everybody's smoking everywhere. And they go through that market and you see all the market stalls and everything like it was so it, was, it added such texture to everything i mean maybe that wasn't necessarily the intent of the time but in the intervening years you know this movie was what 35 30 jesus 37 38 years ago like it's just cool to see all that stuff i really appreciated that and i appreciate that like any movie that's like that where it's set in a city and it just kind of shows what things were like at that time so that holds up i give it yeah. that uh, I do one... like how that that thing you mentioned. I do like how it has a look that's like it doesn't feel like taxi driver gritty, no. but it feels like it feels like um, a good slice of realism, though. Yes, I, I I love the fetishistic attention to detail of showing all the sound equipment and stuff because that mm-hmm. all that old school equipment is just so cool looking and so retro futuristic. I love it. I just yeah. was happy to see it all. Uh, there's one scene and this is a very specific thing and, and you'll have no reference to this, Brendan, I'm sure. But the, there's one scene where there's this like kind of bass track plays as, uh, when they're in the city and, and it sounded very much like it was something that could have been in persona five, which is a Japanese role-playing game set in high school, uh, that I've played and has a, one of the grooviest soundtracks ever committed to, to, you know, digital, 
but uh, the, but I wonder if the guy that wrote the soundtrack from that had heard had seen this movie or heard that bit of soundtrack because it just sounded so much like the bass from that game. Uh, but that's just maybe that's just me. Uh, I, I mean, there's it. a very good chance, Jason. This is a movie. I mean, while while it didn't make a lot of money at the time, mm-hmm. it's definitely one that's grown uh, that, you know, it's grown its reputation over the years. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for good reason, because it's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, w- one last thing I had to say before uh, uh, we get done here. Uh, I feel like there's there's an opportunity here for a remake of this movie again okay. in the modern age. And and um, in my head, I was thinking, well, obviously, if you're going to do this movie today, because we have we had a photographer and then we had a sound engineer. I mean, you might say that the next step would be like like a video, like a camcorder or something. But that would be if they made the movie in the 90s. No, today it'd have to be like some Instagram influencer like has to go to the park at night or something to record a, a video so they can get all those clicks. And they're like doing like a selfie thing and be like, hey, this is this is Johnny Dickhead and I'm recording in the park. And, and then in the background of Johnny Dickhead's video, there's like a lady getting stabbed or something and he catches it on screen. and Oh, my God. And then he's like on the run. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you know what? It already worked once. They did it with uh, Disturbia and Rear Window, so there you go. Sure. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it, and, and he he has to survive by going to businesses and promising uh, uh, lots of exposure to his followers <laughs> if they give him free shit. <laughs> Somebody get Shia LaBeouf on the phone. It's his time, finally. Just do it! As Shia LaBeouf once said, art is anything that moves you. So move us, Shia LaBeouf, and be in this Instagram influencer remake, which I, I haven't thought of a good title for. Because obviously I wanted to go with Blow Something, like, but but I don't know what would be relevant. We'd have to come up with a plot element because Blowout is relevant to the tire. Social Blow. Out is blow. Uh, blowout. That's already Or Viral Blow. Viral Blow. Blow Down. Blow Me Down. That'd be a pirate movie. <laughs> Blow uh, me down, baby. Alternate title. Alternate title for the lighthouse. Blow me down. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if anyone hasn't seen the lighthouse, do yourself a fucking favor. It's on Amazon. It's so good. So good. Have you okay. seen it? No, I'm gonna watch it. It's been sitting on my computer for quite a while. I'm gonna watch you, it. You, you will enjoy it. Well, it was filmed it in Europe, so. It is. Uh, it is decidedly fucked up. All right. Just um, we. <laughs> we didn't talk a lot about Dennis Franz, um, but we should he's, mention that he's a very much a cartoon character. <laughs> he is absolutely a cartoon character of a Chicago whatever, of a, of a Chicago scumbag. <laughs> and he's hanging out in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, should we just play his it, one the one scene I have from him? Please. Um, of him yeah, and he Sally. He literally sounds like he's doing an impression of Dennis Franz. <laughs> <laughs> he does. I do like that um, the scene starts out with, uh, so we know obviously him and Sally are like in on this, you know, their 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 various plots to uh, to embarrass rich people by being caught with her as a mistress, yeah. and then they sell it to the highest bidder, like we said. Um, and they're arguing right now because she feels guilty, obviously, that they had they were indirectly involved in getting this governor killed. Um, he the way he starts and the way he ends this conversation is what gets me. Uh, let's just uh, let's just play this clip here. I think we got him killed. Oh, hey, wait, wait, we. Hey, what do you mean, we, huh? We didn't do nothing. We. I, I, I was in the woods, you were in the car, I didn't shoot out no tire, you didn't either. So, uh, so please, don't give me none of this, uh, this conscience shit, huh? Besides, I mean, uh, 
nobody is exactly crying over the way things turn out. You know what I mean? I mean, what would have happened if the guy had lived, huh? His career was finished, thanks to us. This way, uh, the guy comes out ahead, huh? <laughs> He's a saint, a martyr. Christ, they passed one of his bills this morning. <laughs> You're a pig, Manny. And I'm a pig, too. Hey, what, what, what the hell is with this pig shit? What's the matter with you? You gotta tell the truth before the books are closed and the loose ends are cut off. Hey, what, what, what are you talking about? McRyan was murdered, and everybody should know that. Are you crazy? We got him killed. Do you want to go to jail? Yeah, but... But I was in the car and you were in the woods. Hey, you think anybody is going to believe that? I don't know, but I got to do something. Yeah, like just keep your mouth shut and take the money. Hey, babe, listen. This is the biggest thing since uh, since the Zaprota film. You, I don't care. It's bigger. I mean, this is this is history we got here, girl. Um not the accent but for some reason his manner of speaking just reminded me of like Eugene Levy. Yeah, like Eugene Levy doing a character, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, though I just think it's funny in that scene where he goes from like whoa whoa whoa, we didn't do anything. Don't put that conscience shit. And then by the end of it she says, "Well, I'm just going to go to the cops." And he's like, "Whoa whoa whoa, they're going to think we did it." Yeah. <laughs> like just like one point 180. What does he say the line where he's like uh we're vultures, we're, we're pigs, and he's like, oh, would you swallow a box of animal crackers in that? <laughs> yeah. and, then, yeah. and then he tries to rape her. Uh, he sure does, and then she smashes sure a bottle over his head, and that's the last we see of him. Yeah, thankfully. You know, that was uh, good. Get rid of him. Like, and I could just, I could almost smell the booze coming off his breath when she, when he gets like right in her face and is like, ah, well, they're going to think we did it. Ah. Oh, I mean, he's got this, like, he's got a tank top. He's got a, he's got, he's a, got literally a, a bottle of fucking wine in his hand. His, his wife beater is literally stained with his supper. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about how this movie was received, uh, Jason. Yeah. This movie opened in July of 1981 to positive reviews overall. So critically, it was liked from the get-go. Um, actually, one of the uh, one of the reviewers who gave this movie unconditional love was Pauline Kael, who you know is very divisive among uh, a lot of film fans or you know people who read a lot of critics. Yeah. Uh, she actually said, uh, "De Palma has sprung to the place that Robert Altman achieved with films such as McCabe and Mr. Sorry." De Palma has sprung to the place that Robert Altman achieved with films such as McCabe and Mrs. Miller and Nashville and that Francis Ford Coppola reached with the Godfather films. That is to the place where genre is transcended and what we're moved by is an artist's vision. It's a great movie. Travolta and Alan are radiant performers. Nice. Roger Ebert says this uh, this movie is inhabited by a real cinematic intelligence. The audience isn't condescended to. We share the excitement of figuring out how things develop and unfold uh, when so often the movie only needs us as passive witnesses. It was considered a disappointment. Obviously, it did not make its money back. Yeah. Um, they actually had predicted at the time that it was going to make between 60 to $80 million, and I'm guessing that's because of Travolta's star power at the time. Yeah, yeah he um, was quite famous. That obviously did not happen. Uh, it was, um, of course this movie though, uh, it's one of Quentin Tarantino's three favorite movies, by the way. Makes sense. It's fantastic. I understand. Can you guess what his other two are? Uh, is one of them Foxy Brown? <laughs> no, uh, they're not super and, obscure. Oh, uh, uh, North by Northwest and, uh, uh, we're going to say, uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. 
<laughs> I love you, Jason. Um, <laughs> his three favorite movies are this one, uh, Rio Bravo, and Taxi Driver. Okay. Okay. So he also said that he used the cue, uh, one of the music cues from this uh, in his in one of his own movies in Death Proof. Huh. Um, uh, it's been it's been described. An article on the AV Club listed it as the number number one of uh, De Palma's De pa- all of De Palma's films, yeah. uh, saying it's the quintessential De Palma film. The study of a movie craftsman investigating a political cover up, marries suspense, sick humor, sexuality, and leftist cynicism into an <laughs> endlessly reflective study of art imitating life, imitating art. Yeah. So there you yeah. go. This high praise. I think this. I will. Maybe go on record. I might have to look back and see what we watch for these again. But I think this is the best. And now yeah. for something completely similar that we've ever done. Yeah, this this, this is definitely the best movie we've watched in this run. And it, it kind of is interesting to compare it to the remake of uh, Wicker Man, mm. uh, where I think they're very similar in that you have two two filmmakers that appreciated the originals and wanted and liked that idea and wanted to do their own thing. And they did in both cases. Uh, it's just that this one in my mind, worked so much better. And yeah. It was just such a, an, an enjoyable, thrilling film from start to finish. Um, that it, and, and it improves upon, I believe, substantially upon Blow Up. Because I like Blow Up, but Blow Up was a very, like, kind of, like, low-key. It was, a, you know, it was a movie that I yawned a lot during. But I did ultimately like it. But this movie, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. It was fantastic. Um, and, and and as I said before, and I kind of want to bring it back around just to, just to get this one last thing across, the comparison between this and Blow Up is, is to me – very much like a, a comparison of cultural attitudes of British and American filmmakers. Cause that British version, it's like at the end of it, it's like, Oh, Oh, look, Oh, Oh, he was crazy the whole time. In my mind, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it, the question is open, but it's like, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty clear. He's crazy a little bit. Uh, whereas in this one at the end of it, it's not that he's crazy. He's completely sane. And, and we know this throughout the whole movie, but it's, it's at the end of it, he is completely fucking traumatized by everything that happened and is going to have to deal with that for the rest of his life. And I just find that so different. The perspectives of the two, uh, two countries, uh, uh, it's just a fun comparison, but yeah, yeah. but so good. So good. It doesn't make the full American comparison in that it doesn't have a, a, a tied up happy ending. No, no, certainly, um, not. certainly not. So that shocked me. The ending of this movie genuinely shocked me and i think it shocked audiences at the time the the general consensus of the ending at the time was people saying like well uh, well hold on you can't end a thriller like that (laughs) you (laughs) can't though (laughs) you can and they did and i think it's one of those i mean i feel like we get this too much nowadays with horror movies is where you're like oh the bad guy won again nothing's tied up Uh, and on an open ending we might get a sequel um, but I think this is done that obviously this is done a lot differently and it's, you, you feel like it's not done just for that purpose of like, no. leave it open-ended for a blowout too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't need that. It'll never happen. But, uh, yeah, it's just that ending is so perfect for this movie. It just, it sticks it so hard. And I, I like, I haven't seen a movie with an ending this good in quite a while. Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's just, it really drove it home and, and I'm, I'm enchanted by it. Enchanted. Yeah. That's my word. That's the Call word. Jason Ella because he's enchanted. Let it go. Let go. <laughs> a different movie. Different, oh, right. Different, different movie. Um, I don't have Disney+. What do I know? <laughs> you have Disney+. Plus. Don't fucking lie to me. <laughs> I don't. Well, 
<laughs> well, I think that that'll do it for blowout. Then uh, that was uh, we had that was a lot. There was a lot to talk about. That was a that was a really dense so movie. Fucking good movie, Brendan. My God, yeah. I'm so glad we watched this. I'm glad that this came up in the run because normally it wouldn't because uh, it's not British. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a good excuse to watch it. <laughs> I mean, hell, it was connected to blowout, so fuck it. Exactly. Jason, we can do we're gonna. We <laughs> Jason, we're going to continue this a little bit more just because we're in the midst of the core still. Um, and we're going to uh, we're going to delve into a couple more movies, just two more. And yeah, then we're ideally, go back we, like to the doing the, we like doing the main list when we're face to face, but we're still not sure on how long that's going to be. So right. uh, we're going to maybe do a couple more of these type of movies because it's fun and it's our podcast and we can do whatever we want. <laughs> we're also realistic which is why we're only doing about two more of these probably yeah yeah exactly regardless of what's going on we got to get back to business even if america can't open up for screening countries gotta <laughs> for screening country is going to open up in two weeks it's going to be a grand it. big beautiful opening it's going to be the biggest most beautiful opening you ever saw the ratings are going to be fantastic oh because that's just, what matters brendan ratings. i just puked in my mouth yeah hashtag fire fauci Oh, Jesus. Don't even start. <laughs> so we're going to go. Yeah, we're going to go back to we're going to go back to uh, another. Um, this is going to be interesting, though. We're, we talked about St. Trinian's just last week. We did. And now we're going to talk about the much beloved sequel, St. <laughs> Trinian's 2, The Legend of Fritton's Gold. And you know it's a good sequel when it references the greatest sequel of all time, City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold. Yeah, if you're going <laughs> to, like you said, Jason, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. That's right. So we're going to talk about that movie next week. Um, I, and now, if you'll remember last week, I. I unreasonably enjoyed St. Trinian's, so I'm curious <laughs> to see how this one's going to play out. <laughs> well, well, we'll see how this 14% Rotten Tomatoes movie... <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> um, hey, 45% audience, so you never know. You never know. So we'll talk about St. Trinian's 2, uh, The Legend of Fritton's Gold, and then the week after that, we are going to talk about a movie that's not really related to anything on the list, but it's going to kind of fit in with our current uh, world situation. So Absolutely. More on that next week. <laughs> but as for now, you can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. And country. You can find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And listen to me complain about people leaving their homes. And you can also, if you look at his tweets very carefully, there are images of people being murdered. You have to find the right ones, though. They're very – it's very spread out. It's very obscure, but I'm sure you can do it. They're mostly the retweets from InfoWars. <laughs> well, those guys just keep me informed. That's in their name. Info. Jason, don't you know – don't you know that in Venezuela they're eating rats? They're eating rats, and they're turning the frogs gay. <laughs> Uh, you can, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's that. Fuck. You can find us on all the podcatchers for screen and country You can find us on Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. We, we are running long tonight, so I am trying to wrap this up as quickly as humanly possible. Um, with all that being said, I just got one thing to say to you. Say it. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Click. I just took some audio. Oh no. Don't use it to prosecute me in court because I murdered that person. <gasps>
I wait. I didn't say. Did, did you have the audio on? Were you recording? I was. Damn it! Can't seem to face up to the facts. I'm tense and nervous and I can't relax. Can't sleep cause my bed's on fire. Don't touch me, I'm a real live wire. That, my friend, is the film. Blow up. Nope. I'm going to do that again. (laughs) All right, let's try it again. And now the film set it off. (laughs) (laughs) It's time. Let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last plot holes, a gratuitous movie. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com.